Welcome to the Be With Podcast, a podcast about the art and practice of care with me, your host, Barbara Eroshina. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Be With Podcast. I'm so glad that you're listening. And I would be lying to you right now if I didn't admit that I was pretty nervous recording this episode. I've had to re-record the intro now a few different times and eventually just make the choice that the next recording, this one that you're hearing now, would be it. That what came up and out is what I would vote as good and appropriate because really we're the ones that get to make the choice of whether something is enough or not. And so I'm making the choice right now that this is going to be an introduction, the introduction to our next episode of the Be With podcast. I've been off the mic for a few months, largely because I've been in the depths of deep personal work. You're going to hear a lot about this work on this very episode that I recorded with my friend Rosemary. But I wanted to share kind of where where we're heading with the podcast at large. So the episode that we've got for you today, that I've got for you today, is about an hour and 20 minutes long. So it's a long one, plus however long this intro is going to be. And so feel free to break it up into more than one piece if you need to, but I thought I'd include the whole thing just so that you can listen to it when you're ready. Um, And today is going to be the beginning of a series, a series that I am calling the Trauma and Liberation Series. And it's really a celebration of all of the personal work that I have done in the last, I don't know, 31 years of my life, I guess. Um, But more than that, especially in the last year to reclaim my life um, and to set myself up uh, towards liberation in so many different areas. It feels like by this point of my healing process, it feels almost... um, repetitive I guess you could say redundant to keep saying so many changes have happened over the last six months over the last eight months over the last year whatever it is you know Um, and that's not to be harsh on myself that's just to to sit present with the reality that we are always in process and we are always changing and our healing is never done which really if we think about that is such a freeing concept because we kind of have this, most of us have this drive to, to get there, you know, to get to that place there, the place that where we're going, where we're going to have experienced that healing that we want or achieve that thing that we want to do in the world or have created or self-expressed ourselves in this particular way that we're longing for. And the truth is that there there is no there. There's always just the here. The there doesn't exist yet. And then once we get to the that there, there's going to be a million other there's. So why not start here? Why not be here and call this enough? And why not get, take ourselves off the hook of always waiting for the there and instead honor the here? And so today I want to welcome you to an op- episode that really honors the here of where I am now. Um, and that's going to honor the here of where I have been specifically over the last, I guess, five or six months. Um, so today's episode is going to be the most recent that I've recorded and that was recorded about three weeks ago and lots has happened since that one. Um, and then over the next probably month and a half, we'll be doing episodes that I've recorded over the last six months. So I've been recording interviews in the background with people, um, all about trauma 
and uh, then I haven't been airing them. And that's been the case because I haven't felt like I've wanted to air them, to be honest, for a lot of the time. Um, There was a big portion of the last six months as I was doing my own healing work, my own somatic work, my own trauma work, that I didn't want to be sharing this work with anyone else because I wanted to be doing the work for myself. I wanted to set myself free and focus my own energies on my own liberation um, before I shared with anyone else. And it's only really in the last maybe week that the prayer has returned to me. May my work be in the highest and best of all that is. Um, And that I've returned to that prayer kind of with enough groundedness under me to really feel like I can offer from a place that is rooted enough in the earth, rooted enough in my own joy, rooted enough in a practice of allowing and receiving and grounding that I am ready to be available again as a vessel. And that feels deeply vulnerable to say because I think the way that I'm available as a vessel now is very different. I'm Even as I'm sitting here, I feel my body and it is very different than it has been in the past. Um, and the, this is my work right now. And so I'm so glad to be able to offer it. Um, I'll share with you for any of my tarot fans. Um, I know not everyone knows the tarot, but I'll share this with you anyways. There's a tarot poll that I, um, adapted from Lindsay Mack, one of my teachers, um, who teaches to do a three card tarot poll. Um, and I think this is an an old tarot poll. I, I don't know if it originated with her, but kind of the first card is what's happening on the surface. The second card is what's happening underneath. And the third card is what is the medicine of the moment? And, uh, the the deck the way I think about tarot is that it's really a mirror of what's happening for me energetically and spiritually and so the first uh card on that I received was the three of swords which is kind of all about the ways that we keep harming ourselves and I pulled this card as I was recording and re-recording and re-recording this intro over and over again and each time kind of listening back to it and being like no my my voice doesn't sound right I don't hear resonance da 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 and I and as I said those things out loud I heard how mean I sounded towards myself I was like "Ooh, okay that doesn't sound right that doesn't sound loving let's pull that back Let's, let's, there's no need, no need to bully the vulnerable share. Um, and then the second card, which is what's underneath came up as judgment, which for me is a really a card of great awakening personally. Um, and then the card that came up as medicine, no surprise, zero surprise here is the emperor, which for me is a card about rightful taking up of space, um, rightful offering of wisdom a comfort in bigness and largeness. Um, and I mean, that's what I'm doing here. I'm about to, you know, welcome you into a very long podcast episode where I take up a lot of space and share my own personal journey in a very vulnerable and powerful way. And so no surprise that spirit in that moment when I pulled those cards was able to meet me and say, hey, I know that right now um, it would be easy to re-engage in patterns of harming yourself and judging what it is that you have to offer But the truth is that now is a moment of awakening and of saying things as they are. And then the medicine here is that you get to take up your rightful space. So I share with that with you um, because it's always safe to go to spirit, to ask for help. 
in the moments when we feel stuck or we don't know the how of the next step or we know the how of the next step but we judge it because we assume it's wrong um I have a calendar hanging in my a little office nook right now and for the month of May it's this beautiful drawing of a series of arms and they say we have been given all the tools this is by a beautiful artist I forget her name right now but I'll, I'll credit it in the show notes and um so all month I've been reflecting on what does it mean that we have all we've been given all the tools that we need for this work and where I've really arrived with that is that we have all of the tools present within us and often it's the things that we resist about ourselves where the tools are hiding in plain sight and we judge these things about ourselves we critique we um, question these things about ourselves we resist parts of ourselves and yet that's where the tools are and so often we're kind of asking what's the how what's the how when we know the how or we have the this deep sense of knowing underneath but about what's right for us in our lives, our next step, you know, whether that's in our businesses or our relationships or our healing practices or our connections with our family or where we live or how we eat. We know what's right for us and what's next, but it's the part of us that we're resisting that usually has the, the tool at the ready. So if we can stop resisting that work, if we can stop resisting ourselves, then we begin to have the tools. So on that note, I am going to play you this interview between myself and Rosemary about me no longer resisting my own trauma, uh, the trauma that has lived in my body for decades, um, much of it from early childhood. Um, and, you know, for those of us that know my work and follow my work, um, as you know, I'm coming into a place where really I'm arriving back at this term of pastor and what it means for me to be a pastor, what it means for me to be a mystic, what it means for me to be in spiritual leadership. And as I think about these things, I can't help but see how it is in the owning of our stories. For me, it is in the owning of my story that I've been able to experience healing and reconciliation with myself and that the more I experience healing and reconciliation and acceptance of what is the more there is a a deep sense of liberation to transform what needs to be transformed and to work with the universe to share what needs to be shared for the highest and best of all and, and this is kind of, I think, the dance that happens for us when we are working with and healing our trauma is that the reason we heal trauma is because that is both God being enacted through us, universe, love being enacted through us, and because on the other side of that, not that there is always a complete other side, but as we continue to move through this process, we free up ourselves, we liberate our soul more and more to speak into our lives so that we can take risks in the direction of love and of abundance and of universal healing and collective conscious energy um, that knows that we're not alone, 
that we don't need to be in scarcity, that we are so much more than our physical bodies, that we are part of nature. We are not separate. We are one with nature and we are one with each other and that we're part of this beautiful unity. And if we can't have unity with ourselves, if we can't accept all of ourselves, including often the parts of us that we had to hide or relinquish or repress due to trauma, then we can't know and experientially embody the unity that we can have with all that is, with every other living thing, which is what makes up the divine. So welcome. Welcome to our first episode of the Trauma and Liberation series. We are going to have interviews with some amazing thinkers and practitioners over the next month and a half. Um, and I'm intentionally shaping this series backwards because some of what I'm talking about today, you know, might feel really inaccessible to you. Some of it you might find yourself really resistant against and kind of pissed off against. Some of it you might feel just like as woo-woo shit and what do you care? You know, no matter where you land on the spectrum with today's episode, um, I hope that over the next month and a half as you hear my own thinking evolve, um, because you'll hear me kind of now, but then you'll also hear me four months ago and how I was thinking about trauma and spirituality and God in the context of being deep in the land of nervous system regulation, you know, or um, releasing trauma from my body or working through uh, thinking about oppression and injustice, you know, I hope that you can find yourself somewhere along this journey and that you can see yourself mirrored and then you can know that there are so many different places to be on this journey of healing and all of them are right because they are where we are. And if we can own the rightness of where we are now, then we can also imagine a future which we get to co-create together. Thank you for listening. Please enjoy the interview. Um, one thing that I'll let you know before I get started with the interview is that I am going to be starting up a new project, which I'm so excited to announce. Um, I talked about this project over on Instagram last week and I had so much positive feedback. So thank you to everyone who offered that feedback. And to hear more of the story, you can visit the link that will be in the show notes pointing to the post. But basically, I'm going to be writing a book. It's going to be one part memoir, one part guidebook, sharing my own uh, process of healing and what I've learned about mental health, about God, about setting ourselves free, about learning to love ourselves, about dealing with family estrangement, about queerness, about sexuality and intimacy, about friendship, about healing our inner child, about reparenting work, about security, about money. I'm going to talk about a lot of different things in this book um, and I'll be writing it over, I don't know, the next year or two and each month I'll be releasing a chapter um, and then I'll also be hosting a monthly Q&A which will be kind of an hour and a half long session where I'll expand on the chapter, I'll be a live call, I'll expand on the chapter and then I'm also going to answer any questions people have that are on the call live and do some live on-call coaching so hot seat coaching so if you want to do some coaching with me then that will be a way for you to get some coaching with me um and also to offer the gift that will be listening 
um, the group that will be listening a gift of you doing your work because when we watch other people do their work we do our work also so that's kind of what the monthly calls will look like and all of that is going to be available through patreon which I'll be launching in the next few weeks so stay tuned for the launch of that I'm very excited about it um, and yeah I think that's it for now oh there is a very big announcement that is happening or just happened this week, uh, maybe, depending on when this is released, um, about The Way Home, a retreat for healing spiritual wounds and trauma that I'm co-organizing with Madison Headland and Hillary McBride. Um, I'm very excited about that event. It's especially for those who are coming, for women specifically, who are coming from um, an ex-evangelical background. And obviously when I say women, I mean all women, uh, trans women included. Um, you know, uh, this event is not, uh, going to be for men or even for non-binary folks. We really want to focus on specifically people who identify as women and uh, live our lives in the embodied experience of being a woman in the world. Um, and so that is going to be announced or has been announced. So uh, check out my uh, website for the information on that. Um, I'd love to see you there. The two co-organizers I'm working with are brilliant humans um, and I'm so excited to be able to do this work with them. So yeah, that's the business and the housekeeping. Um, and now without further ado, let's get to the interview. Okay, now because I am editing this podcast myself, I somehow accidentally deleted the first part of the interview. Don't worry, all I managed to do was welcome Rosemary to the podcast. So we're going to pick off right where I have asked her to introduce herself. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. This is my first podcast. Yeah. Woohoo! And I listened to your podcast and had an on your podcast. So that's exciting. My name is Rosemary and um, I am currently working as a clinical counselor with children and youth and their families at times. And so, yeah, that's some of the work that I do in the world. I live in Peterborough. And I love it. I love nature. That's a way, and as we're talking about regulation, that is a really important part of how mm. I regulate my system and myself is mm -hmm. to really connect with nature. And I've been doing that a lot recently as I realize in my counseling practice, I've been kind of moving away from myself and in fact having some like compassion fatigue mm -hmm. and the way that I deal with that is is going to the woods which feels wonderful so that's a little bit about who I am I don't know should I say anything else I mean uh tell it tell the tell the good people of the podcast how you and I met okay I think yes. that's a fun story yes so Barbara and I met um through youth ministry we were both that's um, right Church, church, way back, play back. <laughs> yeah, we. I'd gone through um, a youth ministry apprenticeship, an eight-month apprenticeship to learn how to be a youth minister. This was very strange. Um, I had grown up in the church, but had no uh, ever thoughts of like working in the church or anything like that. And through a series of various events, I landed in mm -hmm. this youth ministry apprenticeship program. I did it. And then um, then the next year, I was working as a youth minister, which also was shocking to me. 
and I heard about this wonderful person named Barbara who was going into the year after me, the apprenticeship program. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, fun, fun little tidbit, when I first heard about Rosemary, it was in the context of someone being like, oh, you're queer? You should date Rosemary McAdam. <laughs> I was like, okay, that's a way to get introduced to someone. And so I actually met Rosie's dad before I met you, Rosemary. I met your lovely father, Murray, um, who was kind of like the social justice organizer for the Toronto Anglican Church, you know, at large. Diocese is the formal word. Um, And he and I, I remember, drove to Peterborough one time on a road trip and got like stuck in an ice storm. It It was such a wild story. And then finally I met you. And we fell into friendship, love, and moved in together and became roommates. <laughs> and together actually made the transition from um, religious care into mental health work, mm-hmm. um, which I think was really interesting for both of us. So, yeah. 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 So that's where we are now. So we both have, like, this um, deep connection as folks trained as therapists. Um, but then we also, I feel like, do have a really lovely connection in terms of thinking about spirituality and universe and um, intentionality and how all of that fits together and how we find connection with unity and consciousness and all those things um so yeah mm-hmm. yeah it's a pleasure pleasure to be able to get to like share all those things with you because I do think it's a unique combination um you know there's not there's not always a ton of like queer feminist critically engaged therapeutically trauma-informed, you know, folks in spiritual circles. Mm-hmm. So it's nice that we get to share that. Totally. Yeah. 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 Um, well, the reason Rosemary is here really is because she's been central over the last few months to my process of um, being able to move through somatic therapy for trauma. Um, and that's been kind of, I guess, a... Uh, a real um, lovely anchor for me. And as I thought about recording this episode, I was pretty freaked out. And so I knew that having Rosemary here would be really comforting and supportive. Um, So yeah, that's about it. I'm very curious what uh, trauma work in you looks like. Mm -hmm. Um, Is there sort of a beginning piece that you started to work into your own personal experience of healing working through trauma yeah I get I guess my first like piece of working really with trauma work started when I was doing my gestalt psychotherapy training and and the first thing I can remember is um we so part of the gestalt training is that we do these residential retreats at the end of every year of school um we go away together for like five days into the desert and that's when we get to do the most experimental work gestalt is experimental just flat out it is you know the school that was like known in the 70s for like having people like beating mattresses with bats you know and like doing like really intense work on sex and like fantasy and and so it was already a very experiential process but I remember maybe in second year at the end of the year we had this one teacher named Tony uh nope I forget his last name so I'm not gonna say it I think his first name is Tony pretty sure Sorry, Tony, if I got it wrong. <laughs> but uh, he he took us into the, the woods and he got us all to collect sticks and to break up into groups of three. And we were given safety wear, like, goggles and gloves and stuff. Um, and then each of us collected a whole armful, like, armful, bundles of uh, sticks. And then we each found a stump or a big rock. And then we took turns 
um, yelling loudly uh, at things that have hurt us, people that have hurt us, expressing all of our rage and all of our anger while smashing and breaking these sticks against these stumps Mm -hmm. and these rocks. And it was really intense and really one of the most violent things I've ever done in my life. And after we were done, I actually lost sensation in my thumb and my index finger um, for a day and a half. (laughs) And I was really freaked out. And I remember Mm. um, the head of faculty said to me, Barbara, that's fine. It's just that's how much rage you're carrying around. And I was like, that's fine. (laughs) I'm just carrying around that much rage. You know, but I remember at that point being like, oh, wow, there's really something to be said for a physical expression of of some of the things I've experienced that I think in my younger life I'd really brushed off and been like, oh, this isn't important. And now had come to realize there's so much more going on under the surface that I'm not aware of. um, And that is present and it's just in my system and it's literally hanging out until I'm ready to deal with it. So that's kind of where I began to do my trauma work. Um, Gestalt is very much... um, an embodied practice. We do a lot of um, focusing, a lot of getting clients to drop into their bodies. And so for me, the, during Gestalt, I really learned how to listen to different parts of my body and use sensations in order to understand what I was feeling rather than just going straight to thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, so all that work began there, um, but it wasn't really until this year, so I guess in December or November, I'm not sure, somewhere in the fall, where I actually began, no, it was November, where I began working with a somatic practitioner. So someone entirely focused on the body and entirely focused on the nervous system. Um, and that being their their top priority um, in helping find regulation that I, that I started doing really kind of intensive trauma work because trauma doesn't live in our, in our, just our cognizant brain it lives in kind of our autonomic nervous system it lives in our in our like you know um responses our parasympathetic our sympathetic nervous systems how those get activated how those get turned on and turned off trauma lives in our gut trauma lives in our connection between our subconscious and our conscious like trauma lives so many other places and pretty much basically everywhere other than where like cognitive behavioral therapy happens, which is like, Oh, here's a thought. Here's a way to think about that thought differently. Mm -hmm. So literally it lives in a different realm of our human experience than where, um, kind of your really regular, like talk therapy often happens. Um, and so it wasn't until this year that like I'd always been trauma informed as a practitioner. Um, I knew, kind of like, and the, and this is an interesting thing to mention too, that like I knew kind of how to work with trauma. And what I found out later, actually, once I started doing the somatic work is that I had been doing trauma work with clients for a really long time, mm. but I didn't know that that's exactly what I was doing. And I was, I had intuitively picked up how to work with trauma on a somatic level without actually having really fully um, been taught how to do it. And, you know, we'll get mm-hmm. as to why that happened later in the interview, but, um, it, so it was this fall when I really started working with a somatic practitioner week in and week out every single week, um, and working with my nervous system and learning the skills of regulation and things like that. Wow. Yeah. I really appreciated hearing the first experience, mm. um, cause that's a new story for me. I've never mm-hmm. heard that before. And that's really 
interesting in terms of how you were able to kind of connect in to how deep rooted that work was through mm-hmm. the rage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, and until then I kind of just like thought like, Oh, well this is just rage work. It's just related to rage. I don't think at that point I knew that that's related to like, I, I don't know how, but I don't think I realized at that point that, Oh, that's related to like our fight flight submit responses. And that's directly related to like the process of, you know, being an animal because we are animals and navigating survival in the world. Um, but yeah, that was really, really powerful. And it, it was kind of like my first opening into like, oh, how much is under the surface that I'm not aware of? And how am I going to do that in a way that's safe? Mm-hmm. Because that really spooked me. When I lost, fin- like when I lost feelings, in two of my fingers for a day and a half, I was like, what the fuck? Like, I, it's like, and I didn't do, you know, then it took years. It took like four years since that experience, five years for me to actually start doing this work. And I think it's because I knew like, oh my God, if I'm going to really do this work, I have to do it safely because I can harm myself. I can re-harm myself hmm. in trying to heal from this. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. That's powerful. Yeah. So in the f- November, mm-hmm. you're described starting the somatic work around trauma. I'm curious, what ha- did you know you were ready or what was that beginning process for you? I just love that. I love that you're just like leading us in. It's so beautiful. Um, yeah, the way it began is that I, so last year, it was, it was a kind of a long process of me getting into that therapeutic relationship. Um, last year around this time, or I guess before this time, like March, February, I went on this epic trip to Joshua Tree that most of my audience has heard about uh, for a retreat and to also do some work in Austin, Texas um, with my friend Maggie's organization. And I really had this beautiful time of like growth and flourishing in my private practice and in my business where suddenly things really felt like, okay, the, if I'm going to have a really successful private practice doing coaching work, like psychotherapy-informed coaching work, trauma-informed coaching work, this is what it's going to look like. This is this is what it looks like, you know? And I would get to kind of the end of my days and have this deep sense of like, mm, but there's something more meant for me. Like, this all feels really good. I feel really happy. But I would have this sense of like, ah, oh, there's something more. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what that more is. Um... And, you know, as the months kind of went on and I started like reducing my client load and really listening, it wasn't until we actually went to your cottage this summer for two weeks um, that I started linking that feeling of like, oh, there's something more for me with a reconnection to that awareness of like, oh, there's deep, 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 deep work for me to be doing. And I think that work might be trauma, (laughs) you know, and how scary that can be for someone who you know, by this point, I'm a practitioner. By this point, I've been in therapy myself um, for, you know, 10 years. At this point, I was, I'd been taking a break from therapy for, I think, about eight or nine months because I just, I'd finished my previous therapeutic relationship. I hadn't found anyone good. I tried a few folks, but it just wasn't the right fit. And, you know, therapy is like dating. You have to find the right fit. And so I, um, 
Yeah, so I, at your cottage, I had quite a few different trauma responses come through um, and notice those, you know, and so for anyone listening who doesn't know what I mean by trauma response, trauma responses can look like lots of different things, um, but I'll include in the show notes um, kind of a couple of links to visuals of, you know, where, where we are in our window of tolerance, which you can kind of like imagine as the sweet spot in the middle where we feel present, grounded in our bodies. We don't feel too anxious or too depressed. We just feel like we're available. And we can have all sorts of emotions in that window of tolerance. Like you can be sad in your window of tolerance. You can be happy. You can be content. You can be all sorts of things, but still be in your window of tolerance where you're like sad, but you're here, you know? Um, versus mm-hmm. when we start either going in, you know, when we start, our nervous system starts dysregulating and we go into either hypo arousal or hyper arousal. So we either go up towards anxiety or down towards depression, um, you know, and trauma symptoms can look like, um, you know, either like feeling disembodied, feeling tired, lethar- lethargic, like kind of numb. That's when we know we're moving towards hypo arousal versus when we start feeling anxious and like like jittery and scared and panic might come up. And that's when we're moving towards hyper arousal. Um, and I'm someone who traditionally, like in my mental health history, I've always been towards the depressive side of the scale. Um, and that's something that I really for the most part, worked through in my 20s through talk therapy and uh, was able to kind of move out of a chronic state of depression, which was really cool and, you know, hadn't had uh, any sort of relapse for a really long time. But um, at your cottage, I had like quite a few moments of hyper arousal where I got really anxious. And Mm. um, at night I woke up like so many times, literally at one point I was waking up every 15, 20 minutes and it was so upsetting to me and so overwhelming. Um, and at the same time, I think I'd heard maybe a Lindsay Mack episode where she talked about like breaking down. She's my tarot teacher. Mm. And she had this beautiful episode where she talked about like uh, a card called Justice where there's like this powerful person sitting and then behind them there's like a veil that looks like it's ripped. Mm-hmm. And you can tell like, oh, there's something behind the veil. Like they look so powerful and badass, but what's behind the curtain? And I remember in that moment laying in a hammock on your cottage property and being like, fuck, there's shit behind the curtain and I have to look at it and I don't have a choice. If I want to choose my life, I have to look at the shit behind the curtain. Mm. And so that's when I was like, oh, it's time. Like, I need this. I need this desperately and I need this now. So yeah, so then I spent the fall searching until I found someone who's you know, really like queer informed and um, very much based in somatic practices. And then I found out she was trained in something called generative somatics, which I really appreciate, which is like a very um, emergent strategy informed, like political, uh, you know, queer focused, inclusivity focused form of somatics um, that recognizes that the personal is deeply political. Um, And that's always been important to my therapeutic practices. Like, I'm not just going to blame everything on me. Like I recognize we live in fucked up systems and that's part of, I think the work of a good practitioner is to name like, Hey, there's systemic things that are affecting your mental health. Um, and so it took me a couple months to actually, to be honest, to commit and be like, okay, I'm going to see you. Uh, and I'm going to pay the best much money a session every single week <laughs> when I don't have a ton of clients and I, um, don't exactly know what this work is going to look like and I'm pretty afraid, but I'm going to do it anyways. Uh, yeah. And that's kind of how the process began. Um, mm. I showed up just feeling like, okay, it's, 
it's time. It's time to look behind the curtain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's a really powerful image. Right? I know. Damn. I wasn't expecting to share that, but Lindsay does play into the story very soon after this. So. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Okay, so you have this moment, This the justice card comes up, this mm-hmm. image that's so powerful that you can connect to of your experience and you realize you have to. Mm-hmm. Look at what's behind the curtain. Yeah. Regardless of anything else. <gasps> oh my God. And I just remembered, oh, Rosie. So this experience has so much God in it, universe in it, source in it. I just can't even. Like if I tried to list out all the all the ways that God has been showing up in this, like over and over and over fucking again, like I'd be like, I'd, we'd, we'd fill episodes worth. Um, but something I forgot is that um, I was working with um, the Collective Tarot at that point pretty regularly as my regular tarot deck. And uh, the Collective Tarot reimagines justice as accountability. And it's this beautiful card of all of these, like, kind of candles that you would have at a vigil. And on the card, there's kind of, like, two mirror images. And up top, there's Sinead O'Connor having spoken up against the Pope and violence against, you know, um, sexual exploitation of children by priests. Um, And her kind of ripping this photo of the Pope up in half. Uh, yeah, and then on the other side, there's an image of another activist and political, um, yeah, political force um, that I don't remember right now, but a, a, a positive change of force. But I just remember her image so clearly. And at that time, when I was listening to the Justice episode, I think right after we came home, I remember I pulled the the accountability card out, which is the you know the collective tarot version that I just spoke about, and I drew it out in my journal. And I colored it in. And I remember it was such an important moment for me. And I was like, I don't know why this is important. Mm. But this is really important to me. And I like colored in it with marker. Mm. And I remember I shared it on Instagram. And I was like, why am I sharing this on Instagram? It's not going to mean anything to anyone. It doesn't even actually mean anything to me. But that's happened in my spiritual life over and over again. Is that like God will come through with images months, like always months before. I know what they mean. Um, and I would say that my subconscious, which is, I believe like where source speaks to us, like does know, and that's why it chooses those images, but it takes a really long time between the, those two to communicate. And for my conscious self, my like ego self, my human self to like evolve, to be able to hear the message that's coming up from down below and considering, you know, where I'm at now with like resurrecting my pastoral calling and healing from so much of the spiritual trauma that I experienced when I was leaving the evangelical church as a young person, mm-hmm. as a child. You know, I didn't experience sexual exploitation as a kid in the church, but I did experience a lot of shaming around my sexuality um, as a kid in the church. You know, my first experience of being shamed for being queer was when I was 13. Uh, and it was awful. It was absolutely one of the most awful things that has ever happened to me in my life. Um, or that happened in my life, young life. Uh and only now, as you're saying that, I'm like, oh my God, the card wasn't just justice, like what's behind the curtain, but that like my own version of the card actually included, hey, this is part of what's behind the curtain and what's really hurting and what needs our attention. Mm. Shit. <laughs> mm-hmm. Real. Need O'Connor keeping it real. Keeping it real. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah, that feels like, oh, yeah, like you said, like, so many podcasts worth of, like, 
and like connecting with that, like those messages that are coming through some other way that yeah. is kind of like beyond us. But totally. So deeply connected to us at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is how I understand, you know, source. Mm-hmm. Is that like we are source and also we're of source. Mm-hmm. Like both are true. We are God and we are also of God, you know. Mm. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful knowing. Wow. Beautiful theology, too. Yeah. Hmm. Do you, I'm curious, do you want to talk about your process in the somatic work Mm. or what? So Mm -hmm. it's like this image has come up. Yeah. That's really powerful. You realize you need to work through what is behind the curtain Mm -hmm. and like actually take it down. Mm -hmm. And that sounds terrifying. Terrifying. (laughs) Awful. Yeah. I, so like fall and early winter were a shit show. Like, just complete show show. I could pretend otherwise, but that'd be useless <laughs> to me and to everyone else. Yeah, so I I start my somatic work. Um, I think the first two sessions I did bi-weekly before I realized... <laughs> before I realized what kind of work we had to do, you know? And then I was like, oh, damn. And basically, we start, we start working together, me and my therapist, and... Shortly after we start working together, I had this um, intuitive tarot session with Lindsay Mack, and uh, she tells me, we're like talking about my private practice, and she says, you know, you gotta like, she's like, I'm getting that you need to like rename your practice, something like intuitive trauma recovery coaching. And I was like, what, what the hell does that mean? And I was like, I'm not doing, I was like, I'm not doing trauma work. That's not what I do, you know, is what I thought in my head. Um, and that of course is happening as I'm starting my own intense really trauma therapy work and maybe like, so I have these two sessions in the first month and then I realize like, oh, the work needs to happen at a deeper level. And so I start going weekly, um, and shit gets really hard, really real, really fast. Hmm. And I start realizing, oh my God, the work that I'm doing with my therapist is what I take my clients through in many ways and oh my god this is so hard and there's names for all these things that I do and that I know how to do like the back of my hand without having ever been taught them and part of the reason I know how to do all these things is because I was trained how to do them via survival as a young child in a household where there was no real emotional regulation available to me from a parent figure so the process of what somatic work looks like is that you come in and unlike traditional talk therapy you begin with your body sensation which is also where I often take my clients um you can begin with body sensation you start listening to the body and then as you and I'm listening to my body of course Mm -hmm. as I'm talking to you on the mic right now um I'm gonna do a thing right now like I'm feeling like there's a little bit of tension in my neck which is a real tell that I'm armoring, which I'll explain that in a minute. Um, but my feet feel grounded. My legs feel pretty tight. That means I'm like a little anxious that my legs feel tight, but I really feel my kneecaps. That means I'm a little anxious. But my chest feels really good and solid and grounded. So I can use my chest right now as a way of being like, 
hey, nervous system, I know this is scary. Mm. I know this podcast is vulnerable. I know this conversation is vulnerable. But, like, look, you can feel your chest. It's nice and heavy and feels solid. And is like, a point in my body that I can use to ground. And then also, you know, Rosie, I'm looking at you as I'm talking. And I'm using you as an orienting tool. I'm like, Mm. look, Rosemary, right in front of me. Like, nice pink lipstick, cute glasses, you know, striped shirt, beautiful necklace. Like, face of someone I love that I feel comfortable with, but that's also, like, a fleshy human being. And that's really offering me a lot of opportunity to stay. And for my nervous system to get feedback from me that says, oh, look, we're here. Mm. We're safe. We're actually not in those first therapy sessions, which were really hard. We're not in the future, like you know, putting, publishing this podcast and having everyone hear all of this. We're not in the past when it wasn't safe to be honest and vulnerable in the world. And I was really judged for that. We're here. And right now we're safe Mm. and everything's okay. And we don't have to be afraid and we can take some risks and some chances. (sighs) Right. So like, that. <laughs> that. That's what somatic work is. Wow. I feel like you just took me through a somatic experience. <laughs> yeah, it's really a lot. It's really a lot. Mm-hmm. And um, I, to learn how much activation and dysregulation there was in my body. Hmm. And how so much of it came up because my life got to a certain level of good and I got to a certain level of wanting to be more fully self-expressed in the world. And my system was just like, shut the fuck up. No woman, that is danger. Hmm. You know, like I had this beautiful time of like having grown the business I wanted to grow. I was suddenly at your fucking perfect picture, perfect cottage, which like is very, you know, for the audience listening, you know, is so reminiscent of my childhood happy place, which is like my grandparents' cottage in Russia. It's like the same kind of like, it's from the same time era. It's basically just placed in Canada. It's, it's wild. It's like your cottage is my happy place in the world because I can't be in Russia. So, you know, to have like all these really, really, really good, 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 good things in my life and to allow myself to stretch into them was so scary for my nervous system because it was like anything out of familiarity is dangerous and could lead to death. Um, And so somatic work really made me recognize like, oh, wow, I really actually don't have a lot of capacity. And by that, I mean skills. Oh, and that's hard to say. That's hard to say as a practitioner. But to realize I really don't have enough skills in self-regulating when things get really good and when I'm taking really big risks. Mm. I have lots of skills in coping and being gentle with myself and practicing self-care and like um, tending. But I did not at that point have a lot of skills for how to re-regulate my nervous system when I was taking a big risk. It was like there was only two options. Like when I was taking risks and feeling really good, I could either like push through my feelings of discomfort and just like power ahead or I could cope and watch Netflix and numb out. 
you know, and like the personal development movement, because I'm in the coaching space, we're like very closely overlapped. Like in the personal development movement, it's like really common to like hustle harder and push through and just like press ahead. But what I know, and and this was part of also like what came up for me once I started doing the somatic work is like, I just knew it in my bones. Like if I do not, and because I have so many friends who have experienced a lot of trauma as well, you know, um, and who have chronic illnesses and who have uh, stuff they're dealing with in their systems, physical bodies, um, much of which is the result of early childhood trauma. Um, you know, and I'm not saying that to blame the people that are experiencing those chronic illnesses. Like this is, you know, like this is well-researched. Gabor Mate has written a lot about this. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there are so many things that we deal with in, in our lives that are the result of unprocessed trauma, dysregulated nervous systems. And so if we keep pushing through and pushing past that discomfort and those alarm systems when in the moment when things are happening, then over time those alarms stay on and they run our hormones consistently, our like panic hormones, cortisol, you know, adrenaline. They like they run that consistently at the same time our parasympathetic nervous system is trying to run the one that's like rest and digest and and over time, like those physical things create disease in the body. They also create depression and anxiety um, and even more serious mental health issues. And so I knew that I had to deal with the stuff behind the curtain, not only so that I could expand and find out what that something more is that I felt at the end of those long coaching days, but also so I did not endanger my future self. Um, And so I didn't bury things in my body and in my nervous system that I actually have the capacity to heal if I give myself permission to. Um, I don't want to do that. I see how hard that is for people around me. I don't want to do that. I want to make a different choice because I have the capacity right now and I'm lucky that I can make a different choice before I've gotten there. So why not? That feels like a hard thing to say out loud because I know that that sometimes it's too late, you know? Uh, And I know that for me with my depression, like there were years where I had to first undo the negative effects of the depression and heal the depression before I could ever do this work. Like I had to heal my depression in my 20s so that I can now do this work in my 30s. -hmm. Like there's, there's kind of no other way to speed through it. I don't even remember the question you asked, but I felt like I went some down important paths. Mm-hmm, definitely. That the somatic process that you described was really powerful. Mm. Yeah, yeah, for me. Thanks. What was mm. what? Yeah, like I almost, to be honest, right now I wanted to be like Rosie. What are you feeling in your body? Right I think what was so powerful for me was that really being in the body forces you to be completely present. Mm -hmm. And when you started describing what was happening in your body, I started to really connect into my body. And it was just like, Oh yeah. And it, it made me actually think of last night when I would have flashes of things that were happening in my body, mm-hmm. but things were kind of going so quickly that mm-hmm. I was, it was just so brief 
But if we really take that time and like mm-hmm. you usually say, slow <laughs> down and really connect in, I suddenly just felt so present. Mm-hmm. And when you said like, we're here, we're safe. I think there was a part of me that like that touched my inner child of feeling mm-hmm. like I am safe. Like, even though in this moment, I don't mm-hmm. feel any, like, I don't feel, I would say I'm not anxious. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable. Yeah. And still, if you can come to that point of feeling this sense of like deep safety, it's very powerful. Right. Yeah. I had a I had an interesting moment yesterday. A, a really proud moment is what I'm gonna call it. Where uh, Rosemary showed up and I was vacuuming in a my Natania's bedroom, and our bedroom is all the way in the back of the house. And so I was vacuuming, and then I like started like maneuvering my way into the hallway where the bathroom is, and I noticed that the bathroom door was closed, and I was like, "That's weird. I didn't I didn't close the bathroom door. Why is it closed?" And then I was like, well, I must have just closed it and not noticed. Like, I had a brief second where I was like, is someone in the house? And, and, like, before the thought even finished, I was like, well, I must have just closed it. And for me, that's a really big deal because, um, and, like, spoiler alert, Rosemary was in the bathroom and popped out a second later. And I'll explain <laughs> what happened. But <laughs> I was like, I was like, oh, I'm telling a thriller. <laughs> But like part of the part of the trauma triggers that came up this summer when I was at your cottage is that, um, you know, there was a like a it, it's a very private cottage. It's on an island. Like so, we saw no other humans for like two weeks. It's perfect. I'd like to move there. I might have to. Long story. Tell I'll tell the audience later. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I like your neighbor dude stopped by at one point, and I just didn't know that there was a neighbor dude to even stop by. And I was friends. I really love being naked, um, and so the the least amount of clothing I have to wear is really preferable in my life most of the time. I live in Canada, so sometimes that's hard. Um, but at this cottage, I either was wearing nothing or this like very tight, very thin cotton body dress. I think is what you would call it, but like no bra, hardly ever underwear. And so I, like, show up to the door, and this dude is standing there, you know, who's, like, probably in his 50s, and we have this, like, awkward conversation, and it's fine, you know, it was fine, but literally that night, I woke up, like, every 10 minutes being like, oh my god, I'm gonna be murdered, oh my god, I'm gonna be raped, oh my god, I'm gonna be murdered, and, like, that's a wild thing to experience, but when I was a 10-year-old, 11-year-old girl, I stayed home from school one day sick and there was a break and entry into our house and thankfully nothing like quote unquote nothing happened to me because no harm was done to my physical body but that was a deeply traumatic experience for me as a young child to have uh, because a stranger did run into the house and you know I was like on the phone with my dad and I had to say to him like I'm on the phone with the cops get out and you know and I can even feel right now as I'm saying that like my body is armoring again in my shoulder um, which I can discuss what that is. I've done an Instagram story about it as well, so that'll be my highlights in my Instagram if you want to learn more. Um, or maybe it's an IGTV. But either way, I am... So I have a bit of a... I have had, in the past, a bit of a thing about basements and about being surprised and about people entering my house without me knowing. Um, where, like, I don't always like sleeping alone or being alone 
in homes at night. I don't really love basements because, like, the way he ran up into the house, it looked like he was coming from the basement. You know, like, I've just had all these things, like, basically that, that have been my system for the last 20 years, right? Because mm-hmm. this happened when I was 10. Wow. Yeah. For 20 years, I've been afraid of all of these things and have had all, like, to live in these very specific ways because of that limitation, because of something that happened and stayed in my system since I was 10. And yesterday when you, like, creaked open the door and went, Hi! Uh, my response, and I'm not going to do it right now because I don't want to be loud on mic, but it was something like, ah, like it was like pure delight. And then I literally went, oh my God. And you went, what? And I went, I'm not having a traumatic response right now. And like, friends, I did not go into hyperarousal and I can't tell you what a big deal it is. Like my heartbeat was not racing a million miles an hour. I was not scared. I did not have suddenly cold, sweaty feet and hands. Like, I just stayed calm. I was like, oh my God, my friend Rosemary's here and she's in my bathroom and I didn't know. And isn't it wonderful? Let's hug. And like, cool. Mm-hmm. Rosie, that's mind-blowing <laughs> to me. And I remember I looked at you and I went, oh my God, my nervous system must be so regular. <laughs> I was like, okay, this is therapy friendship. Fine. <laughs> you know? great too because I was like I don't even know like the vacuum cleaner was on and I was like but I really had to pee and so I was just like opening it and I yeah I love that response it was like you were so excited that you weren't surprised and like thrown off it was so nice to see you and it was so nice to not be freaked the fuck out and I was like Mm -hmm. holy shit this is such proof that my nervous system is in a way better place. Mm-hmm. Way better place. And I think part of what that means is that I'm actually processing things as they're happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do have... And the reason I guess I brought that story up is because I do have this, like, sense of safety mm-hmm. that I'm connected to way more of the time. Like, I still get dysregulated. I'm still human. But, like, I'm connected to that sense of, like, I'm safe way more than I have ever been in my entire life. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. That's very hope-filled. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't think I, like, I mean, I kind of thought I was going to live that way forever. I didn't know that that's something that I could restore balance to in my mm-hmm. system, but I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Okay, so we're back. We actually just took a little break, got up, took care of these bodies, mm-hmm. got some snacks, yes. moved the bodies, emptied the bladders. Um, <laughs> and I, I say that because it's it's so important to take care of our bodies. Um, this is a long interview. Hey, listener, do you need to take care of your body? You do it um, because that's the foundation on which we build everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Practicing what we preach. Yes. Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. Curious where this sort of intense personal work that you're mm-hmm. now in the process of doing, mm-hmm. how that has either shaped or changed your coaching practice or your philosophy. Mm-hmm. In terms of the work that you do mm-hmm. with people, mm-hmm. yeah. So once I started, once I started doing this in-depth work, so the first couple of months were like hell. 
time, to be honest. They were really hard. And um, I found myself swinging a lot between like pretty intense hypo and hyper arousal. Because what we were doing, and I, I did an episode about this, you know, it's like two, two episodes previous to this or three maybe called um, Activating Trauma. Um, and we, I talked about it then, but I think even back then I didn't have the language for it that I quite have now. And I'm sure two months from now I'll have better language for it even then. Um, but I was intentionally kind of in the therapeutic practice where we were intentionally activating these trauma responses and allowing them to come to the surface, allowing them to have a voice, to have a seat at the table, right? So that um, I could see where these trauma responses in my nervous system, so that with my conscious brain, I could see what these trauma responses were about, what they're trying to protect me from, like what's useful about getting really tired when I'm facing something scary. What's useful about getting really anxious and panicked when I'm faced with uncertainty. Um, what is that trying to protect me from? And so as, as we started doing that work, at the same time, I was getting ready to launch um, a group program called the Be With Initiation. Um, and at this point, I already knew that I was going to be probably um, taking a sabbatical, I guess, from seeing one-on-one clients is how I understood it back then. Um, I have a I don't exactly know how I understand it now, but we, we can get to that. Um, but as I was, you know, going through this process of knowing, okay, I'm probably going to take a sabbatical from one-on-one work. I'll, I'll do that. I'll run this program instead. Um, but I was trying to run the program and launch the program while I was still in the midst of this, like, really intense personal work. And, of course, my nervous system was like, hell no. Fuck no, lady. It's like, it's not happening. You know, you're you're way too much at the edge of your own limits. Mm-hmm. Um your plate is full with your own care. We cannot care for other people in this intensive group container right now. And so that was really hard. I had to, I kind of decided once I like closed registration, I decided to like not run the three month version uh, for anyone wanting to do the work for themselves. And the six month version I'm, I'm still running, but um, in a much more kind of condensed and manageable way. Um, with the practitioners that chose to come on the journey with me and where also I've been very honest about where I'm at and, and what that means for how I'm holding space for others and, and how I'm also teaching the holding of space because that's something I'm very experienced in and have been doing for many years. Um, but as I kind of was going through this process of growth and intense bringing up of shit, intense ripping down of curtain and looking... To see what's behind it. Um, I began to feel the courage to begin to tackle what has been, I think, one of the scariest realizations for me to work with over the last few years. Um, so before I did my work in my 20s around my depression, I only had really one operating methodology, and that was push through. That's what I knew. Pushing through was my MO. Um, it's what I did to survive as a young person. Was If I had a feeling, I just pushed through it. I just pushed past it. I just disregarded it, threw it to the trash heap, and moved on. And over time, that built up and it manifested as depression. Uh, a real, for me, disease of self-neglect. Mm. And so then my 20s, the skills I learned were really good self-listening skills which was really important 
Um, I started to be able to listen to kind of my emotions. I wasn't really ready to listen to trauma yet, but I was ready to listen to my feelings. And then when feelings got really out of hand, I learned really good coping skills. So I learned coping skills, everything from like respecting coping skills, like watching Netflix to uh, respecting and loving and engaging in coping skills, like talking to a friend, you know, so I learned a whole variety of coping skills, but that was kind of where that piece of work ended and and it was as far as I was willing to go at that point in my life um so then suddenly I had two ways of dealing with intensity I could either push through or I could use my coping skills um but neither of those allowed for a really supportive way to move forward in my life that wasn't building up shit for me to deal with later, which is what pushing through does, but also was allowing me the freedom to explore and express and take risks, which coping wasn't letting me do. Because whenever I went to coping, I would just pull back on the stimulus. I would pull back on the risk. I would pull back back on the challenge um, that I was giving myself because that's what was creating the unwanted feeling. And so, mm-hmm. well, like, let's just pull the stimulus back. Let's just try and not take a project on that's that audacious. You know, let's just not have that difficult conversation with that person. Let's just pull back and not be fully self-expressed and just cope. And then that makes the feeling go away. And then isn't that fine? And I think that's actually a really important, that's a stepping stone. That's a really, really important stepping stone as we're learning the depth of our emotions as we're learning sometimes the depth of our oppression, the depth of our trauma. I think that's a really, really important first place to get to. And I really respect that that's where I got to. Um, and at the same time, I knew I wanted more, right? So throughout my practice, I've had two guiding principles. The best way to speed up is to slow down. And any feeling, coping uh, mechanism, circumstance, behavior you have in your life is something you've come by really honestly. And I love those two principles and I still firmly believe them, but I began coming up to this, you know, frightening realization um, that I want to name that, that I did not know how to come at in a respectful way, which is that also I deserve for things to get better. Yes, everything I have is something I've come by honestly, but also I deserve for things to get better. I deserve to outgrow my pain. I deserve to outgrow intergenerational patterns of trauma and limiting belief and violence and abuse. And actually, I deserve not to just outgrow those things, but I deserve to evolve way past them. You know, I deserve to move from intergenerational emotional violence to actually having a fantastic relationship with my future kids. Mm. Like, I deserve to skip steps because I'm here and I'm doing Mm. the work. And so I started coming up against this edge of myself where I was like, oh my God, dear God, if I'm going to start working with a potential third principle, and, and I don't think back then I even knew what it was. Like I've only come into language around that maybe in the last month of like, like what does it mean that I could have more? And I think of my wedding was the first time where I saw that, where like our wedding was like this beautiful, magical, wonderful thing. And it made me believe see like oh my god better is actually really 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 possible for my life like big audacious goals are really possible for my life Mm. and so I began wrestling with what does better mean and and what is my role in creating better as a trauma survivor 
and this has been a scary conversation for me to have with my audience because I really want to be critically engaged. I never want to shame other trauma survivors. I definitely never want to shame someone who has less privilege than I do. I never want to victim blame. And yet I know that we are not responsible for what happened to us when we experienced abuse, um, when we experienced depression, when we experienced depression, when we continue to experience oppression, systemic, institutional. Um, and we are responsible for what we do with the result of those things. We are the ones who have to take accountability. <laughs> There's a card in our lives today now about like, okay, well, what, what are we going to do with what happened? And how are we going to make choices about our future moving forward? And so suddenly I began to really, really let myself honestly wrestle with what does it mean to take accountability as a trauma survivor for how I move forward in the world and how I speak up and express in the world and what risks I take. And what I didn't know back then, but I know now, is that I basically started working on the hypothesis that there's got to be a third way. So one way is coping, or I guess the first way is pushing through. The second way is coping. There's got to be a third way. There's got to be a better way that allows me to self-express, to make things better in the universe, that allows me to make things better in my life for me and for people I love. But there's got to be a way to do that that isn't about me pushing past myself, but that's about me trusting myself and trusting my instincts and moving forward in a loving way and maybe sometimes even challenging myself. But that doesn't cost me my health later. That doesn't make me feel ashamed about myself. But that also allows me to take risks. And so I started moving forward in that direction without even knowing, to be totally honest, I think what I was doing, I just knew I wanted better. I wanted more. But I believed that there was a more complex, nuanced way to do it. And so over time, what that meant is like really learning to respect my instincts and practice this like wild, wild in the sense of like that it feels like it has to be unlimited, non-judgmental curiosity with my instincts and really being able to be like, okay, hey, instinct coming up. Are you coming from a place of fear? And if so, are you a trauma response? Or, hey, instinct, are you coming from a place of like knowing and groundedness? And like, even if something is scary, it not coming from fear, but it coming from knowing. And that, that's the thing to listen to. That's not a trauma response. That's just a knowing. And really learning how to distinguish those two driving forces in my body. You know, some would call those like ego and soul. And mm. learning how to... Because I've always had her, especially since my mid-20s when I learned how to cope, like, I want to have a respectful relationship with my ego. Our ego is never there to harm us. It's not just, like, some asshole belligerent aunt that, like, thinks we should have already been married by now. Like, you know, our ego is trying to protect us. It's being unkind. It's being manipulative. It's being sneaky. It's doing all those things because it loves us and it wants to survive. Because it's part of us. It is us. And so I had to come to this moment where I had to be like, okay, so I'm not going to push past the ego. I'm not going to push past my instincts. I'm not going to pu push past my desires. I'm going to learn to self-express 
and to take risks in the direction of my dreams and to believe that something better is possible for myself. And so as that happened, I, I did come to the realization that, you know, one-on-one work is no longer making me feel alive and enlivened. Um, and I didn't know why. I just knew that was the case. Um, and then as, as it happens, you know, I was like in therapy where we're doing all this body work and then we were doing a lot of work around, um, around like early childhood and the fact that I didn't have, so something that happens in somatic work and in most therapy work is actually co-regulation where a therapist will be in regulation in their own nervous system and they will co-regulate for us until we learn how to regulate. So they are teaching their nervous system is teaching our nervous system how to regulate. Mm -hmm. And that's something that a parent is supposed to do for a baby. But if you never had a parent who was regulated in the first place, then you didn't learn how to do it. Um, I learned how to co-regulate, I think, or I learned how to regulate my system somewhat later in life. But even then my skills at regulating my nervous system weren't the best. My, best way of regulating my nervous system was often being in like intimate vulnerable connection with someone else and so I as a practitioner and as a well let's start backwards as a baby I learned how to fully attune myself to my parent which is the opposite of what's supposed to happen so the way co-regulation happens is that the parent attunes itself to the child and then the parent's nervous system co-regulates the child's nervous system that's how those skills are taught And then that child, as they're being attuned to, learns to attune to themselves and to attune to their caregiver. But if the caregiver doesn't have skills in self-regulation or in self-attunement, then what happens is that the child, in order to survive or feel like they are surviving, has to learn how to attune to the parent because the parent doesn't know how to attune to the child because they don't even know how to attune to themselves. And so that was my case. I, from a very young age, and it, like, I'm almost, I can almost feel myself being like, oh, this is so scary to talk about. Let's leave the body. Let's stay here. I, from a very young age, learned how to attune to others in order to survive because there was a lot of chaos in the emotional landscape of my childhood home. Um, you know, I grew up in like communist Russia. Uh, there's a lot of, um, and, and that's not, that was not an easy place to grow up. And that was not an easy place for my parents to grow up. And so they really weren't taught a lot of skills and regulation. There was a lot of, yeah, you know, um, social patterns of alcoholism to numb and to deal and to cope with what it meant to live under that regime. And so, um, you know, I, I learned from a young age of how to be able to feel what anyone else is feeling even if they don't know what they're feeling, right? So we call this sometimes like being an empath. Like I will know what someone is feeling before they're feeling it. And then I will help them find a way towards feeling something better Hmm. or easier. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) So I learned that really young and so I'm really good at it. And it's why, you know, as soon as I began coaching and, and as soon as I finished my therapy training, like... It felt like such a natural fit because not only was I doing something I'd been trained to do since I was a baby, but also it gave me that like reward, you know, of like, oh yeah, when I do this, I have a connection with someone, I have attunement, I have regulation, they have all those things. It feels so good. It feels so wonderful. Also, this is like 
what I was taught good attachment feels like when I was young. And so it gave me everything. It gave me all of those hits. And that's wonderful. Only let's be clear. Like, well, you know, I got to therapy and then that one session exploring all that, let's be clear, I realized like, wait a second, that's also not all of who I am. Like that, these particular skills are me, but they're also so fucking good because of what I survived and because of healing from what I survived. And actually, there's a lot to me that isn't just the result of wounding and survival and healing. Mm. There are other things I'm really talented at and I'm really passionate in the world about because of just I am who I am. Because it is just me. And I think that the freedom to be able to just be me. Knowing that I have some additional skills because of what I survived. That feels like a wild opportunity that I want to step into. Mm. And so once I was able to really name that for myself, I was like, well, I can't come good conscience. Just like keep seeing people one-on-one when I know that I've done enough of my healing work that now my nervous system is regulated enough that I'm ready to like kind of leap and like be like, okay, let's also like check out the direction of the dreams that I've had since I was a young girl, you know, And, like, my most long-held dream is to be a pastor, (laughs) to be a minister. And, you know, that's something I lived into very briefly in my 20s before, you know, leaving because it was just too painful to be in an institution that um, was homophobic. And also, like, to be in an institution where I didn't agree with the theology and I felt like the theology was problematic and harmful to humans. And so that's what I'm doing now. is moving forward in that way. Um, yeah, but that's how my practice has changed and my mm. philosophy has changed. That was a long answer, but that's that's kind of how those have shifted. And so what I'm really curious about these days is like how do we slow down to speed up? How do we honor our coping mechanisms and behaviors? And how do we also make space for ourselves to do the kind of healing work we need to and the capacity increasing work we need to as folks with trauma or as folks living at the margins to be able to take risks and be bold and create change in the world and create positive change in our lives and for other people to believe that we can actually do that, to step out of a feeling of always getting the short end of the stick And to do that in ways that are sustainable to ourselves and our communities. To do that without burning out, which we know, like in organizing circles, like that's what comes for most people without um, getting into patterns of like widespread chronic illness across communities. um, Because we're, we're just all burying so much shit down, 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 deep down under the earth. Mm. Wow. So, yeah, after everything you shared, mm-hmm. I feel like there's two pieces within me um, that are coming up. One is kind of, is forward looking, like mm-hmm. where, where do you go from here kind mm. of piece? And I know it's unknown, mm-hmm. but I'm, 
I'm curious in that how we put intention out into the world can be really powerful. Mm. So I guess maybe that's more of I'm curious what your intention is kind of going forward. Mm. Another piece, as someone who's been awash in your wisdom (laughs) for the last hour, is I think maybe a more personal piece of like... Because as you've been talking, I've been thinking about my life mm-hmm. and my experience and my coping and my like regulation. And it, I'm, I feel like there's a piece that for me, I'm like, how do I bring this into my life? Like how, you know, all these things that you've learned, like, are there some nuggets you've already been sharing, but something that is kind of a, a takeaway, I mm. guess. That's it. Okay. So ready? Those two questions are like actually flow into one another. Like, imagine two rivers converging. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but we just use that metaphor. But it's like two rivers converging. And I didn't, you know, and we paused. We, like, Rosie shared those two questions. I was like, yeah, let's do those two questions. I was like, I don't know where we're going here. But then as soon as we turned on the mic, I was like, I know exactly where we're going here. And I'm like, let me see if I can explain it. Okay. So. And I've been using this word a lot right now. Trusting your instincts. That's where we're going to go with this. I love that you said there's something really beautiful about setting an intention and working towards it. So last week I was at, two weeks ago, I was at a conference in New York City. And it was for wedding disruptors. So like folks in the wedding industry who are disrupting that industry by, I know it's amazing, amazing. <laughs> who are disrupting that industry by like creating more inclusive um holistic, not wedding industrial focused experiences, you know, for couples, Mm -hmm. um, or more than one couples. I mean, for them, they were pretty, they were still them. So they were like couples. I was like, also triads, maybe. Hey, Hey, you know, like I, I was just like, my little queer heart just wants to include everyone. So, you know, I really got into the space and I was feeling kind of like, awkward and self-conscious in it and shy and letting myself feel all of those feelings um and being surprised by them because they're not feelings I feel a lot but I was there were feelings I was feeling at this conference Mm. and then afterwards realizing that like every time they said wedding space disruptors like there was just kind of like a little bit of like I never connected with it I never like I never clicked in I never felt at home with what they were saying what they're doing is awesome and it's amazing. I love it and I'm into it and I want to support them. I want to volunteer with them, but I never felt like, Oh, that's me that they're talking about. It is me, but I'm also doing something different and unique. And it wasn't until the last couple of weeks since Madison and Hillary and I have announced our, you know, the way home retreat for, um, women's healing, spiritual traumas and, um, spiritual wounds, you know, specifically coming out of Christianity. Um, it wasn't until I started, we started kind of like, being a bit more forward about promoting this retreat and we started having more serious meetings about it that I realized actually where I feel like an industry disruptor is in the religious space and in the spirituality and faith space. That's Mm. my place. My Mm. place is like, let me disrupt what it means to be a spiritual leader, teacher, pastor in the world because I'm not your average like witch teaching tarot, even though I love tarot. Um, and I do practice, um, you know, different, I guess, pagan practices. And that's been a part of my journey since I was, you know, a young girl. 
uh, a teenager when I first heard about Wiccanism. And I'm not, you're definitely not your average Christian pastor anymore, though I used to be. And though Christian teaching continues to really um, inform how I understand the world and how I understand God and how I understand the universe. And, you know, folks like Rob Bell are still absolutely fundamental to who my spiritual teachers are and my mentors in this work. You know, and he's a big, like, ex-evangelical preacher, now teacher, book writer, speaker, you know, and so I, what I can tell you about that and stepping into the space and being like, okay, I want to, what does that mean? Maybe I, I don't know, I want to speak at churches, I want to speak at conferences, I want to speak at weddings as an officiant, I want to, you know, walk people through premarital coaching, I want to, like, do name ceremonies for babies and baby blessings and, you know, like, I, I want to help create a really conscious, progressive, positive, supportive critically engaged, anti-oppressive, feminist, you know, way of holding spiritual space that's not appropriative, <laughs> you know, and also it wasn't until I really thought about myself as a disruptor in the spiritual and religious industry that I thought, that I felt that, not even thought, in my body, mm. everything went, that's it. Hmm. And that's not like that feels comfortable. I'm like, what the fuck does that mean? What is a pastor without a goddamn church? And what is a pastor without a Jesus behind them? You know, like, but that's the word that resonates the most with me. It's not comfortable for me to be like, ah, this is what I want to do. You want to be part of my parish? You're in New Zealand? Cool. Welcome. You're listening to the podcast. Like, like I don't even know what that's going to look like. You know, I have no idea. But my intention is that I get to say yes to the deepest parts of me and I get to love the parts of me that are afraid and petrified and acting from trauma all the way through I get to love them all the way through because they're coming for along for the ride we can't leave them behind those parts of us like they're not going anywhere they are coming with you you got to figure out how to bring that trauma along for the ride and attend to it and love it and calm that part of you down and say hey baby girl I hear you right now. You got real anxious. You're real scared. I don't know what's going on. You probably don't know what's going on. We got triggered. Something happened. And we are in this loop of like wanting to try and fix things. And so we're panicking. And so we're like coming up with these like solutions that wouldn't actually really support us, you know, and that are really scary. Um, And those are probably not the solutions for us. But I hear that you're panicking and I hear that you're trying to protect me and you're coming up with these solutions because this is just the best way you can figure out how to protect me. And what I can tell you is we're safe. What I can tell you is that we're going to take some time right now to feel our feet on the ground and our body laying on the floor. And we're going to use our eyes to notice the edges in the room and that no, we're going to notice that the doorway has an edge and that our fear has an edge also. That nothing is without end. Your fear isn't without end. Your anxiety isn't without end. Your grief isn't without end. And we're okay and we're safe. I'm gonna give you what you need. So this isn't so scary and it's also gonna be a little scary, but it's okay, we're gonna do it together. So like really actually stepping in to reparent the parts of us that are afraid and to, ready for this, like reparent our ego. 
Hmm. Like, people shut their ego down. They're like, my ego is an asshole. Like, my inner critic is an asshole. Like, that voice deserves no time. And I'm like, dude, that's a part of you. Like, that's a part of you that just needs reparenting because it is scared. It's okay. You know, and so the, the way the two rivers converge into one is that I would say, like, my intention moving forward for myself, what's next, is to listen to the parts of me, and mostly through my body, that and my soul, that yell yes in resonance when something feels right, and then to take the parts of me that are really afraid and coming from trauma by the hand and say, I love you, I know you're scared, we're going to do this together, I know you're trying to protect me, you get to yell, you get to scream, we're also going to keep moving forward mm-hmm. at a pace that's right for me and that you're going to learn how to handle because I'm going to support you to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think as far as like hot tips <laughs> on how to integrate this into your own life, I think it, it begins with learning to listen to ourselves. You know, like if we're saying something and we feel like we're lying as we're saying it or we feel like we're faking it or do we really mean that, like mm-hmm. really pay attention to that. You know, oftentimes we'll be like, in conversation with someone we're like oh no it's fine that like you know in this situation your brother is coming along to the lunch we plan just for us but if you can hear yourself and you're like listen to that because that part of you knows and that part of you is trying to communicate with you mm-hmm. and it's not bad it's just part of who you are you know and so I would really work on listening to ourselves and our instincts. Um, I think there's lots of really great folks who are trauma specialists out there who are wonderful to listen to. So Irene Lyon is extremely talented. Um, You can find so much of her stuff for free online on YouTube. She's got a great neurosensory exercise that's 15 minutes. That's available on her SoundCloud. Um, If you've got a trauma that's like especially sex related, um, Rachel Maddox does absolutely brilliant work, um, and her take is also very spiritual. Um, so her work is really, really grounded and amazing. She does a lot of trauma education um, through her channels on Instagram, mm. um, mostly. Um, yeah, and then I highly recommend any sort of somatic practice, whether we're talking about somatic experiencing or we're talking about generative somatics. You know, like. Somatic experiencing is about learning to listen to the body. Generative somatics is learning to listen to the body with a political lens on it, right? So that's like left-leaning. So finding kind of something that feels accessible to you. Um, And then really being brave with wondering, like, what kind of support do I need to do this work? Um, And knowing that it takes, like, patience is needed because it takes a lot of time to do this work. Mm -hmm. And setting the intention to do the work is already a really big deal. And I couldn't have rushed this work. I couldn't have made myself do this in my 20s. Like when I left the church in my 20s and I was depressed and I was learning how to cope, if I'd gone to do my trauma work right away, I would have crashed and burned and I would have never gone to the place where I am now. And now is the appropriate time for me to re-enter into my role in spiritual leadership and um, because I have, I have the capacity to do so now, you know, and I'm increasing it with every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, those are kind of like my two basic recommendations. And I think starting simply means that we're starting in a way that's going to be sustainable. Hmm. Hmm. Wow. Well, I think that's it. Do you have any reflections, mm-hmm. any thoughts, anything you want to share with the audience? Just, I think, yeah, that 
what comes up for me in, in thinking right now about people listening is, and I think you probably share this, like you are taking time for yourself right now in listening. Mm. That is like the self-care that's taking time for yourself. Yeah. And that's wonderful. Yeah, that's literally enough right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're already doing it. That's a good reminder. Thank you. I haven't need that. Yeah. Cool. Well, Rosemary, thank you so much for coming on my podcast and asking so many good questions and also just really holding space. I cannot imagine having this conversation um, with myself, a microphone, and a wall. That sounds terrible. That's what I was going to do. And shout out to Tanya Newmar, my wife, who was like, maybe you have a friend there, Rosemary. And I was like, oh, that's the perfect fit. So thank you for coming through and doing this with me. I really, really appreciate it. It means a lot to me. It's been my honor. Yeah. Okay, bye. Bye. <laughs> All right. And there is our first episode back with the Be With podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, will you pretty please do me a favor and head on over and hit subscribe to the podcast as well as leave us a five-star review so that other people can find this interview and find ways to, you know, be supported in their own healing process. Will you also maybe grab a screenshot? I mean, you listened to a whole hour and a half of this. So will you please consider grabbing a screenshot of this? this podcast and sharing it on social media. I would so, so appreciate it and be absolutely grateful. Thanks so much. And I will catch you very soon.